You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, powering the transition to a resilient, renewable, decentralised energy system of the future. And SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is David Leach from ITK Services. David, I trust you are well. Giles, I had a game of singles tennis early this morning. It was cold, uh, but I enjoyed it a lot. So yes, I'm well and I trust all our our listeners uh, are enjoying the podcast. Uh, I trust our sponsors uh, are uh, are, are, are having a good time of it and I trust the whole industry is uh, <laughs> making progress. Well, David, you've invited the question about the tennis. Was this a social game of tennis or have you sort of got a list of scores which you've sort of accumulated over the last few years? Uh, it's a social game of tennis with someone the same standard as me. But we, you know, we mid, I can't uh, mention my age, but uh, we, we play singles. It would probably cause any spectator a fair degree of amusement, but... Uh, 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 there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. Out there and playing, that's, um, that's good enough. And um, look, well, look, um, things are certainly, things are happening on the court um, in tennis and they're also happening in the, um, in the energy industry um, at the moment. But look, before we, there's a few things that's happened this week, but um, now you've done an interview with um, Andrew Mears from Switched In, who have been uh, very involved in the creation of virtual power plants and uh, what have you around the grid, which is pretty interesting in the context of that seems to be where we're headed to this, um, you know, this future, which is sort of digital, um, distributed and democratic, apparently. Um, so why don't we actually just listen to that then, um, David? Um, you speaking with um, Andrew Mears from Switched In. Good afternoon and hello to you, uh, Andrew Mears, Chief Executive of Switched In, uh, one of the switched on companies uh, uh, making an impact. Uh, can, could, could you start by telling us a little bit about uh, how Switched In got started and, and what it does? G'day, David. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, uh, how it got started? Well, Switched In grew out of my experience uh, building distributed energy services in different parts of the world. So I worked for organisations like the UN and the World Bank and um, in a lot of the markets where I was working, um, it was about enabling energy services using solar and batteries. Um, and one of the findings that came out of that was that um, that data and control are key to sort of innovative business models. So coming back to Australia about um, seven years ago, six years ago, and just seeing this amazing uh, market of distributed energy technologies, rooftop solar and emerging battery storage and all this sort of stuff, but but essentially pretty basic energy service models that were providing services. And so Switched In sort of, the, the mission for Switched In is to enable um, that two-sided marketplace that we're looking for to enable greater participation of consumers and to, to fast track the shift towards a decentralized um, energy service. So, and the key, the key problem that we focus on is um, just removing the complexity, making it possible to manage at scale all these small assets um, owned by different people 
um, and coordinating the way they work to deliver value to their owners and to enable smooth interaction with the grid. And so I think, Andrew, that we're uh, all of us on a journey here in, in trying to get to uh, f- firstly eventually finding what, what our our uh, vision and solution is going to look like and, and exploring a number of different pathways, I guess, along the way. But if we come back from the from the general concept, which, which I want to talk about some more uh, to what SwitchedIn does specifically, I guess you're a combination of a hardware uh, and a software company, if I can use those things, and, and you're in the device market, which is and your, your, your primary product is a small device that essentially acts as a hardware communicator uh, for all the different solar inverters out there and market and effectively a control hub is, 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 am I thinking about it the right way? Yeah, right. So, so um, at the moment we provide a gateway device and we build into that all the communication protocols, proprietary and other protocols out there. Um, which enables us to pretty well connect and control um, all the solar and battery systems that are in the market. Um, Now, this is great if you're trying to build a fleet of connected systems because you don't have to lock into a single vendor solution. And also, you've got fine-grained control uh, over things like cybersecurity and communication pathways and all these sorts of things which are important once these things become significant as uh, in the electricity system. So, so, that, so, yep, we have a hardware device. We call it a droplet. It's a gateway device. And then that connects to our cloud platform we call StormCloud. Um, more and more, however, we're starting to move away from the hardware device in our droplet. And we're actually licensing that software to run inside third-party products. So some of the battery systems in the market are starting to put our software inside um, and also some smart meter vendors. Well, you'll soon be seeing our software inside the smart meter. So that, that interests me because I was going to uh, ask, well, I guess I saw a post from uh, one of the people that, that works in Switched In and I think you've got, what, something like 25 employees now? Is, 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 that, uh, is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. We've got um, we've got a great team up in Newcastle, and uh, we've uh, we've been growing. Uh, we've just added six new people during COVID, so that's been an interesting process. Well, that's right. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Ty Smelter in New Zealand's dropping a thousand, so I think we've got a way to go to, to, to get back to even. Yes. But that's, it's <laughs> every drop counts. Um, but the point is, I guess, that we're going to see uh, one of the big things around the place is, is the interest that AEMO and everyone else is taking in this uh, enormous behind-the-meter market that we've got in Australia. And I say enormous both in absolute terms, uh, but also it's the behind-the-meter market share of the total Australian electricity market is enormous, I think, on a global scale. And yet all of the inverters in that are, 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 were never designed with a big integrated system in, in, in mind. And so I think all the inverter standards and the types of inverters we're going to have are going to change. And I, I thought you would be a good person to ask about just generally, I suppose I could ask a lot of different questions, but, but what do you see as the opportunities and challenges and the process? Like if you were AEMO, what would what would you be doing at the moment to to 
make an orchestra out of all these distributed resources and and yet still enable uh, homeowners and consumers to be uh, have control of their own systems. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, you know, what we're, um, you know, what we've what we're seeing here is a, a very fragmented technology market. It's sort of a clash of techni- technology cultures, really. You know, on the one hand, we've got you know this regulated, you know, standards-based, rules-driven uh, electricity sector, um, and they're butting up against probably for the first time to this essentially what's a consumer appliance market. Um, uh, with with its own sort of uh, you know different types of standards and and technologies and practices and uh, so so as a consequence you know we're still seeing the emergence of of different uh, ways of dealing with this complexity and uh, you know one one would think well why, why not just have a nice standard which enables interconnection and all that sort of stuff and. And that's that's been tried over many years, um, but I think uh, just given the fragmented nature of the industry, it hasn't really stuck. Um, fortunately, um, you know, in Australia, you know, Australia is sort of at the leading edge, um, and we're seeing some reforms now around standards. And and today, today's today we're we're interviewing on a Thursday, I think, and uh, and the the draft, the new draft for AS four triple seven point two has just been released today. Which is timely, and um, uh, and uh, that's... Andrew, that 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 doesn't mean much to me, and I'm I'm sure it's going to mean even less to most of our listeners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, well, that, that's that's really the standard which uh, which defines for Australia what we expect from from these battery and solar systems, um, and you know what we're seeing now as this as this emerges is a big crackdown on on the types of performance expectations that will enable these systems to better support the grid and uh, but also to enable new opportunities for their owners so to enable them to participate in the sorts of services which you know support the operation of the grid and and also the energy market Uh, and that's really exciting i think to see the technology maturing uh, and to see sort of the market sort of setting expectations um, is really positive. So uh, I guess, uh, let me ask, what's the most important thing, single thing in this standard that's that's different from what's there before? Let's just focus on this for a moment. Well, yeah, well, the big change is really, it's, uh, it's really a tightening up of of firstly of what's expected of key functions so for example the ability for the the solar or battery system to handle disturbances so um, uh, so you know d- during periods uh, you know uh, when maybe there's an extremely low demand or there's problems in the grid being able to ride through and to operate sensibly during that time um, but then also to making sure that they're equipped to be able to provide the sort of um, uh, support uh, during times when we have uh, peak solar, so excess solar in the grid, or, or when we have uh, um, excess demand, you know, when we start to approach peak demand periods in the grid to, to see um, to, so that these inverters can contribute. So, so one thing is to tighten up the specs, 
And the other part is to tighten up the testing. So, so being able to more clearly defining, you know, how accurate these systems must be and how quickly they must be able to respond. And, and so a lot of these features have been in the past in, inside these devices, but they, they were never really uh, the, the testing and the expectations uh, around how they would perform and how accurately they could do this weren't, weren't clearly stated. And so the, their utility in the system really wasn't able to be realised. Um, I guess that's the, all being I guess must, tightened up. And, yeah, yeah, so. go on. Uh, but I mean, there's a, I think there's something like two and a half million, and I'm using a really, really rough number of solar systems, rooftop solar systems around behind the meter. How many of the inverters associated with those do you think will actually meet the new standard? I mean, just a wild off the top of your head guess. Well, that's that's the problem with standards. A lot of um, you know, this will really just apply to new devices coming into the market. Um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, um, a lot of the devices that are already out there, um, you know, there's a big vari variation between different capabilities. Um, you know, it's switched in. We, we get down to the nitty-gritty of how these devices perform. And from one device to the other, we see big variability, big differences. Um, no, some I, devices, I get that. that, that that's why I'm asking you the question, you know, if you took the two and a half million or whatever the number is of uh, inverters that are out there now, if you had to just take a guess, uh, which no one's going to hold you to, uh, as to how many of those, <laughs> if they had, had to comply to the new standard, what percentage do you reckon would comply with the, with the new standard? Um, uh, look, uh, I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I would think it was, it was less than 50% would comply with the new standard. Um, and let me and let me ask you the that, question. That, a different... That's that's very anecdotal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I expect it's anecdotal. But uh, Andrew, that's uh, that's the sort of thing uh, that you know you're more likely to be anecdotal about than uh, interesting than, than than me. That's for sure. Uh, and 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 you talk about the uh, the way that inverters ha will have to perform. You know, even under the current regime. And I want to come on to another topic uh, about grid forming inverters and 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 how that's going to work. But uh, in the current system, the idea is that some centralised command will go out to all these inverters when demand is very low or when demand is very high. Of the existing inverters on the market. Uh, do you have any sense of how many can actually at the moment respond to any kind of form of, of centralised control or, or what their ride-through capabilities are? Well, look, other than the few, which are, you know, the few, say, battery systems, which are, and that, that that's only a small fraction of the inverter space systems that are out there, um, only very few connect to any sort of control. Um or, you know, 98% of inverter products installed um, are not able to be controlled remotely at the moment. And, and basically never will be able to be remotely controlled? No, that, it was not envisaged. Um, you know, uh, there, um, and, and that, you know, there's, uh, what we're seeing, some manufacturers are certainly starting to respond. Um, but as the devices stand at the moment, that that service isn't available. But um, but you know uh, with uh, we are, you know we are seeing some 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 products uh, which are starting to you know by virtue of the fact that they can be 
remotely updated uh, with new software and things like that. Um, you know, there is the potential to bring some of this capability on board. Um, and, you know, part of the value of having our sort of add-on devices as, as well is, is that we can you know, retrofit to many systems this capability. And uh, that's right. So, but 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 that's right. So that I mean, either some of the inverters out there can have their firmware updated, and some of them can have a, a gateway added on, uh, of which yours would uh, drop switched in would be a, a good example. Uh, yep. But for the most part, uh, or for a lot of the existing inverters out there, I mean, it's really going to be still that uh, just block of energy that's produced during the middle of the day. Uh, that basically is just going to be a factor in the market that no one is going to be able to do much about, or in, assuming they wanted to. It's just going to happen the way it is at the moment, more or less. Well, you know, the, the, definitely as, as things stand at the moment, um, that's the way it is. But, um, but these devices certainly have the capabilities and, you know, there's, you know, there's, uh, you know certainly our focus is on enabling, you know, flexible, uh, participation of these systems in in the electric in the electricity system, um, and you know there's um, uh, you know that that's one of the great things about these smart inverters is that um, they can be co-opted to provide these sorts of services. It's really just about coordinating, um, you know, the this opportunity with uh, with the with the networks and their email. And let's talk a little bit uh, about the actual hardware capabilities. And, and now let's just move on uh, a little bit. And I, I want to come back to microgrids as well, uh, if we get a chance. But just talking, looking at the software side of things, you mentioned that your, your focus is moving away from producing hardware devices to having embedded software uh, within new inverters and, thing, and systems. I guess... How's the control system going to work over, overall? What's the sort of model, if you like, for how all of these systems will be made to orchestrate? Are they all going to be sending like voltage signals up to, you know, uh, or sensing incoming voltage sen signals and, and then responding according to some internal software? I mean, uh, uh, you know, lots of interconnected sort of household microgrids if i can put it that way or talking to each other and negotiating voltage or or or, or is there some going going to be some other just sort of hierarchical system of every, someone at the top just and, and 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 where are we at with both the thinking about it and the actual development of these kinds of software in australia and how far away are we from seeing a properly orchestrated system i mean if that's not about a hundred questions to all answer in the next thirty seconds, <laughs> yeah. Well, look, look. Um, I mean, uh, a fully decentralised system would see all these things operating independently and coordinating, um, uh, and yeah, that might be the vision one day. But uh, one step at a time. Um, you know, I think uh, we will be seeing you know a more hierarchical um, coordination taking place now. The great thing about uh, these smart inverter products is that uh, you know they can handle a lot of that inter inter interaction autonomously. Um, but uh, by providing um, you know control, um, uh, you can enable new types of services. So, uh, for example, uh, coordinating um, lots of solar and battery systems to support the operation of a microgrid to coordinate and balance. 
um, you know, involves sharing data and our, our droplets can share data between them and coordinate to, to manage uh, the balance of generation and demand. Um, you know, uh, it opens up opportunities for sort of community batteries or standalone operation with, um, you know, the, with, a, with a standalone uh, power source. Um, but then in the main grid, being able to coordinate lots of systems to, to provide the sorts of services that have traditionally been provided by larger power stations. So, you know, um, enabling um, these smart inverters to help uh, manage frequency in the grid by providing injection or sinking energy at the right time to um, is a service that, um, that that in aggregate can can generate new value um, or connecting but, customers but, with the uh, energy. We, we, I guess Andrew, sorry, do we, I, I, I yeah, agree with yeah. that, but but in I guess what I'm trying to get a sense of, and I think most people agree with that, in, 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 but. We're not actually at the point of doing any of that. I mean, where are we in that in practice, right this very second? Oh, well, we're, no, we're we're doing that now. That's what we're doing now. So, so for example, we're we're enabling uh, rooftop solar and battery storage to help the reduce diesel consumption in remote microgrids in far north Queensland for Energy Queensland. Uh, no, I saw that we, for for Ergon, for Ergon or Yan, what what do they call the uh, their their um Yan, Yan? Eureka, Eureka, Eureka. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. That's so, in the microgrid, but I, but I mean in the main uh, in the NEM. Where where are we with that? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, in the NEM, I think we're seeing um, a number of initiatives. So so we provide our platform, for example, for a large chunk of uh, Simply Energy's virtual power plant. And in, in that case, uh, you know, they're, they're enabling customers to, um, to get better pricing on their electricity and, and they're, uh, they're creating value by uh, participating, you know, in FCAS and spot market opportunities um, where, you know, we're seeing um, uh, and we're supporting a number of other VPP um, opportunities for retailers um, who are looking at similar sorts of similar sorts of arrangements and either they're passing that opportunity through to their customers or or they're using it to drive down costs and and offer a better deal on their retail electricity um, we're also seeing that in the cni space so um, in fact a lot of growth in the cni space at the moment where especially cni customers where they have a range of different sites maybe they have a bunch of factories or um, or different facilities, um, and uh, um, and they're able to to uh, take on the job of helping to manage some of that volatility across their site with some some solar and batteries, uh, and they're using that to get a better deal from their retailer, or in the case that there might be a market participant to actually help them manage some of that risk themselves. So and and, so I guess, and, and do you see? And do you see that uh, do you see that opportunity? I mean, what, what's what's your inquiry rate for that? Do you see this as a as a big growth market going forward? I like, I, I, and when I say big, I mean, do you see this as like in the billions of dollars of range of opportunity, or or is it always going to remain a sort of small, relative, a small player kind of kind of opportunity? No, look, I, I think this is a billion dollar opportunity. Um, I think. Uh, 
one of the, I think one of the key enablers for battery and solar, especially in the CNI sector, will be uh, that they enable those customers to become more sophisticated in terms of how they manage their energy energy costs. And, and that'll come, and really that'll manifest around how they manage risk. Um, and, and these are the sorts of tools that make that possible. And, and you've seen a, you mentioned that there's interest in that at the moment. I mean, is this becoming a significant part of your business already? And, and you, you, I mean, you've put some new employees on. Do you, and we're getting to the end of our time. Do you, do you, do you see good growth for yourself in, 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 in what you're doing and what gives you confidence in that growth at the moment? No, ab- absolutely. I mean, we, uh, in the last, uh, uh, I mean, there's been a few factors, certainly the rule change around embedded networks last year has sparked a whole lot of new players. Um, and, you know, this is uh, this has been a key driver, especially for, um, I mean, some resi, but also some, uh, you know, commercial customers. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, and I think too, you know, we're just seeing now perhaps the battery technology and pricing starting to resonate. Um, and, you know, paybacks, down around the six-year mark for some CNI customers, which is really, I think, you, you know, it, it's it's that there's some some lines being crossed. So we've definitely seen in the CNI sector, you know, the business case for batteries coming down to around the six-year mark, and and I think somehow that's triggered, um, you know, uh, a new recognition that there's opportunities out there to help to be to be more engaged in managing your energy costs. Um, and a platform like Switched In brings brings um, brings to them the tools, which uh, which if they're a market participant means that they can access that value directly. Um, uh, or, but if they're buying electricity from you know a CNI retailer, then it puts them in a better position to negotiate um, their supplier contract. So, yep. Um, in the last eighteen months, you know we've had. Um, We've had a bunch of of sizable deals coming through. Just just thinking now, probably probably about sixty megawatts of um, sixty megawatts of capacity in total from about eight projects come through the door. Um, so um, so they, these aren't the big big projects, but they're definitely we've definitely seen a shift, and we've got a pipeline of about half a dozen of these types of projects um, looking forward. Andrew, I think I think we'll have to uh, wrap it up there because we've been talking for 25 minutes or so. I, I appreciate you okay. taking the time time to talk to Energy Insiders today. Uh, and it's I love to talk to people who are on the coal face who've started their own business and, and making something happen and uh, wish you all the best with it going forward. Great. Thanks, David. And that was Andrew Mears from Switched In. Um, David, what was your take on on this? Um, a billion dollar market in the future. I mean, that's a that's a fair slice of a wholesale market. I, I imagine that's what he was referring to. Uh, yes. So you know, um, I ran into Andrew at an A Lab presentation. These these were, these were sort of uh, brilliant sort of events that Arena ran and probably still runs, um, where where a whole bunch of people get together to brainstorm on a particular topic. And and I happened to be sitting at a table with Andrew, and I was in, in, impressed with what he what he was doing then. And Switched In's growing quite a lot, and it's based in Newcastle. I love the regional development, but. 
uh, I guess the point he's say, saying is that, um, uh, as we know, behind the meter is an incredible force in Australia and we're a global example. Uh, and yet it's sort of historically developed, as we know, topsy-turvy. Topsy uh, and therefore, you know, a lot of the um, existing systems are not going to integrate all that well in, in, into a new world where AEMO, as usual, uh, and this is so reminiscent of the internet where personal computers all grew up and then, and then as soon as the big system uh, sees that it's uh, important, they, they sort of envelop, the system envelops you in its arms and all of a sudden... Uh, you have to play by the system's rules, and that's exactly what's happening with behind-the-meter storage. But at the same time, it's opening up terrific opportunities for um, uh, distributed energy in general and for new software and for new ideas and for new devices. And, you know, there's going to be a, a retrofit market in, in inverters, but there's all the new inverters and the new possibilities of, of using them all together is, is just a big opportunity for Australian software developers as much as anything else because, hey, we're a world leader in the space. Exactly. Yeah. I do sometimes wonder, though, about who, who's actually going to get the most of the benefits. We've actually started getting a little bit of feedback from some of the people involved in virtual power plant trials, um, a couple in South Australia, and just sort of saying, well, we don't actually get to choose much of how this battery is actually used. We sort of imagine that we'd sort of, you know, got this big battery and, um, you know, we'd be able to do it for this, that and the other thing. But because we've signed up to the virtual power plant and somebody else seems to be in control, then we don't really get much say in it. And um it does sort of beg the question about whether no, these are. You know there what, for... Charles? I, I, I think. The, sorry, I, I, sorry to sorry to bust in, but I, I you, you, you've struck a chord. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, I, I also see that uh, Big Brother being the system in this case, uh, and it is Big Brother. It's not Big Sister. Goodness knows, Big Sister would really, you'd really be in trouble. But. Uh, um, uh, has a you know has needs that have to be David Cavill please has needs that have to be fulfilled Giles you know like we can't have uh, the system being brought to its knees because uh, there's there's either a sudden switch off of, of behind the meter or a sudden surge of it for one reason or another but but I do agree with you about the idea of control and I actually think virtual power plants are a pretty stupid ideas in many ways because you might have all these like one battery in South Australia and another one in, I don't know, North Queensland, all in theory connected to the same virtual power plant. And, and what use is that to anyone? Uh, and, 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 you know, we've seen, as I keep talking about, these extra economics of uh, community batteries and things like that, which uh, may provide a different way where, you know, if we had a different system that would properly reimagine from the beginning, uh, where, where the network operator would control the system function of the battery and the consumers could keep using using the energy pretty much how they liked. Uh, so I, I think there are different models and, and, you know, we need to think harder. And one of my uh, big issues while, while I've got the microphone here for a second is that there's so many rule changes and standards changes going on. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day that said they're working on 75 different proposals right now, all of which are interlinked. And it's too complex when you tackle each one individually. Someone has to has to sit back and develop a top-down plan. It's, you know, if you want to uh, achieve something, you've got to have start with a vision and work out how all the little parts in the machine fit together before you start. You, don't, you do that before you just do all the little parts. At least that's my way of thinking about it. 
Well, look, yeah, well, a couple of things to pick up there. Um, one, um, your, your, your sort of um, comment about virtual power plants. Look, I can actually see the benefit um, as part of a system um, asset. And um, if you're worried about them being scattered across, well, imagine what happens when we've got the electric vehicles and them being used as a resource. Now, the whole idea of electric vehicle batteries being used might seem bizarre to people because, hang on, aren't they just driving around the road all the time? But um, most cars just sit in the driveway for 95% of the time or sit somewhere at 95% of the time. And if they can be plugged in at the same time, then that does actually present an interesting asset. So we really are going to be changing the way we think about the energy grid. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that all ends up. Now, moving on to what you said about all the different rule changes. Um, yes, now we've got a couple of things we need to discuss here. I do remember people just being so overwhelmed by the number of suspicion, uh, submissions that they had to make. I mean, almost beaten into submission just by the sheer weight of these rule changes. And um, look, we've seen a couple this week come through. Now, five-minute rule change. Um, there's a lot of worry about this. This is the um, the move to five-minute five minute settlements, try and dodge the rorting that's been happening for years and years with the 30-minute settlement, six different periods, bid high in one period, guarantee a higher price for the whole average period. Um, Sun Metals, the zinc refiner, sort of struck up a stink about that and um, pushed through this rule change, which the AMC was fairly reluctant to do so at the start, eventually agreed, but with a four-year delay. And then the last couple of months under the cover of COVID-19, most of the big utilities, with some exceptions, notably AGL and Energy Australia, most of the utilities, most of the networks, wanted at least a 12-month delay or even a 24-month delay. But um, the AMC has agreed to a delay, but only three months, which is really no consequence at all in the great scheme of things. But it was fascinating to see the report from Deloitte's, which um, AMC relied on, who said that um, despite all the submissions from all these different people, they could find absolutely no evidence whatsoever of anyone being having a problem with meeting the um, the original deadline, apart from those who just assumed it was going to be delayed anyway and basically disbanded their team. So they're going to have to go and play catch up now because they made a decision thinking that they had control over the regulator, which may well have been true once and possibly still is on some occasions. But um, I just thought that was pretty interesting. Well, well, it is. And the five-minute rule is an interesting rule that's been talked about a lot and there has been a long time to prepare for it. Uh, I haven't actually read that Deloitte's report, Giles, and maybe you can comment whether they talk about the total cost of implementing it, because that's certainly something to be thought about. And what will worry me is all this in software, you know, it's all these continuous uh, development of software, uh, particularly if you've got lots of different software systems, all of which have to be modified, you know, and it's one reason why big companies go to uh, single software uh, uh, things so that they only have to make one change to a packet to the software, which is evolving all the time. But uh, the reason I personally uh, favour five-minute rule is because I think it's one way or another it's going to get a lot more batteries into the system a lot faster. They may not be very bigger batteries, big batteries, but uh, I, I am a big believer that uh, batteries have got a very important role uh, to play in the system of the future and rules that favour them uh, are going to be good rules. That's right, David, and not just big batteries, but also your virtual power plants, um, and also demand management, another sort of fast response thing. So that's um, actually really good. Um, what the Deloitte's report did say, it actually basically, look, it was one of those sort of strictly AMC things, and these regulatory things that you have in Australia, it was just basically all about costs. And it basically came down and said, look, the cost of a 12-month or 24-month delay would be significantly um, more than the cost of um, getting it done in time. So that's basically where they came down. Um, and I guess that's one of the frustrating the other, the things. The other interesting thing, Giles, the, yes. sorry, the other interesting thing is, of course, it's one of the first major decisions from the AEMC that uh, has been made when 
uh, Mr. Pierce is not there. So you can read into that anything or nothing, uh, probably nothing, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. No, look, I think we should read something into it. I think um, <laughs> that's why not. Um, yes, no, well, very interesting. Um, certainly a progressive, uh, a reasonably progressive rule and um, one they actually sort of found a sensible compromise between um, the wishes of things. So I think they've actually done quite well on that. So congratulations there. But look, that's not the other um, rule change that's going around at the moment. There's this, um, now the regulator, the Australian Energy Regulator, um, has been talking about semi-scheduled generation and changes to to that um, to that um, standard. So what happens now is that basically any wind and solar farm is considered to be semi-scheduled if they're above 30 megawatts. And what they, the only restriction is basically is having a cap, I think, on their output, um, but there's no minimum one. And what the AER is worried about is that some of them are suddenly withdrawing their um, declared capacity or the declared generation at the last minute because they're trying to dodge negative prices and other things. Um, and so they sort of they proposed just a couple of weeks ago a whole bunch of different alternatives to maybe either remove the semi schedule rating to do other different things. It kind of admitted itself that none of it was really very satisfactory. None of it would be particularly useful. Um, and some people um, uh, from Hard Software, for instance, who helped design the um, Hornsdale battery, actually put up a. a um, wrote a piece for Renew Economy just sort of saying, well, hang on, um, this is probably going to be sorted just by the transfer to five-minute settlements. So why bother making things even more complicated? So I'm not too sure if you've got anything to well, add that, there, David. Right. Uh, well, uh, two things. Firstly, I listen to what or, or I read what Harley uh, uh, McKenzie, I think it is, uh, has to say from Hard Software because he's got a very long and successful track record. Uh, of, of what he does. Secondly, thing I'd note is let's get the AER involved in the rulemaking process because, hey, we're doing such a good job already with the AEMC, with COAG, with AEMO, uh, another rulemaker, <laughs> another umpire on the field. Uh, that's, that's, that's fantastic. That's exactly what we want. Um, and uh, the third thing, uh, and I, this is the most important point, all of these rule changes, many, many of them come about uh, because we don't, like I said before, we don't have an overall vision of what the object of the game is trying to be and therefore make a simple set of rules. Once, many, many, so long ago, I can barely remember, uh, so, uh, my tax law lecturer was talking to me about the big and complicated Income Tax Act, and he said it was much harder to dodge tax when the, when, when the Income Tax Act was, uh, was, a, was about a tenth of the size. And so I think myself there's a, quite the case for throwing out the whole rule book at the moment or think, having to rethink and just trying to divide, look, looking at where the end game is and coming back with a new simpler system. Now, that might sound uh, impossible, uh, uh, but uh, it's better than these ongoing cascading series of rule changes, all of which impose costs on uh, every participant every time. Uh, and as you say, and likely to be thrown out a little bit later. Uh, another one would be the do no harm rule, which we, we've, we've talked about, about a lot. And, and, and there's a very long list of them. They just come from uh, not having enough sense, fixed firefighting problems as they come up uh, that take, uh, without having a big sense of, of, of where we actually want to be when we're finished and, 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 and the simplest and most straightforward way of getting there. 
Look, that's interesting. And look, we do actually have a wholesale review of the markets that's due to be sort of put together over the next 12 to 18 months and then presented and then put into place by 2025. So it's kind of sort of, you know, we're sort of dealing with all these sort of interim changes and then we've got this whole other big change. Um, I just hope that at the top of mind when they're actually redesigning that market is not just taking the technologies and the pace of technology change into account, but it's also the end goal, which I think one of them must be reducing emissions. And I guess one of the issues that we've had over the last 20 years in the national electricity rules is that emissions and environment has not featured at all. It was supposed to, was mysteriously taken out just before the whole thing was put into effect. And so all we've ever heard of since is cost versus cost, this sort of economic sort of rationalism. And that's actually led, as a lot of the state ministers are finding now, to pretty poor decisions and not very rational decisions, hence their efforts to take some of their infrastructure investments away from the normal regulatory process. So and just on that, it's just fascinating that the only institution that's really taken this emissions component into serious consideration, as far as I can see, is Australian Energy Market Operator with its integrated system plan, which looks at a various range of scenarios from slow to medium to technology and consumer-driven change to the, um, the Paris Climate Goal of 1.5 degrees. And so it sort of maps out this pathway to 90% renewables. You contrast the language there where they're talking about, okay, we need to get there and this is what we can do and it can be done, but we need to sort of change this, this and this. And if you actually get round, if you could be bothered reading the state of the market report from the Australian Energy Regulator, which came out two weeks ago, which basically every time it mentions coal generators, says these are wonderful things which are synchronous and they turn and they're reliable and they do this and wind and solar just creates problems and need rewrites of rules it's all very, very hard. And, um, and you're just thinking, hang on, that is just such a disconnect um, from reality and where you want a regulator to be in its thinking as it's trying to prepare for this massive change. Anyway, that was a bit of a rant. But anyway, Giles, we, we've taken up a lot of our, our listeners' time, but, but I agree with you. I, I think myself, there are two villains in the piece. One is obviously the federal government, uh, which just doesn't take enough lead. And I think it, in the end, I've come to the view, much as I love what the states are doing individually, it would be so much better if it was part of the federal government would, would do a proper job. Uh, of driving things forward instead of the stupid technology and uh, economics thing, which which is just a means, not not a policy. And secondly, I want to say that ha having dealt with the AER for, for, for um, I, I, I don't think the AER is is a very suitable institution for in a change management process because their sole focus on lowest cost for consumer is is. Uh, generally uh, just gets in the way a lot of the times and and you know this big break up between the networks and uh, and and generators uh anyway i i, I think yeah. it, it gets in the way it doesn't it, the modern world but that's me yeah and that's fair enough too and look there's some very good people there and i talked to some people there and they're, they're, they're very very good and care a lot but um as an institution you're right there are problems look one final thing before we go we and we thank our sponsors um um, Evergen and Solaray Energy. Um, Tiway smelt, Smelter, it's the New Zealand aluminium smelter, one of the cleanest in the world, powered by hydro, um, going to be closed because too expensive, according to its owners, Rio Tinto. Fascinating to see. I mean, obviously, lots of implications of the closure of that smelter, a loss of an industry, loss of jobs, but also the impact on the electricity industry there. We saw $3 billion wiped out of the market capitalization of the electricity companies because the assumption was that you take 13% of demand out of the market, then prices are going to go down. David, what are the implications, as briefly as you can, for Australia and our considerations here? 
So the implications, Giles, are that the state governments will be under a lot more pressure to subsidise the smelters. That's really uh, the bottom line there. If you look at uh, the TY thing, and I'm, I'm not fully across it, but as I understand it, it's the transmission costs. The actual power price that they paid was only about only about $50 New Zealand, which is uh, a megawatt hour, which is uh, not a high price by global standards. But the transmission costs, they, they were essentially using 2% of the transmission infrastructure, but paying 7% of the costs. Uh, of the whole thing. And yet now that it closes, uh, all the other consumers are going to have to pay all of that extra cost anyway. And as you, uh, I, I think New Zealand will get through this. The, the closure of the smelt has been talked about for forever and a day. Uh, and the fact that it's now happening uh, really can't come as a big surprise. Although, as usual in these things in markets, you know, you tell people you're going to punch them in the face and they say they're really scared. Then when you do punch them in the face, it really hurts and the price goes down anyway. You know, <laughs> There's a big difference between talking about something and it actually happens. But uh, uh, for Australia, uh, let's wait and see. I think every 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 case is individually different, and I think myself, Rio. What it does show is that Rio doesn't really care about anything other than it's got the smelters being globally competitive. Not one Rio smelter, as far as I know, has any renewable energy uh, in it, uh, wind or solar. And uh, Rio itself just you know is going to be going around just trying to get better deals out of state governments, as indeed will be Alcoa. That's all they really care about. There you go. Okay. Well, I can't contest any of that. Once again, thank you very much, David. Thank you very much for Andrew Mears from LinkedIn for joining, um, switched in, sorry, from joining us in the um, earlier conversation. And thanks once again to our sponsors, Solaray Energy and Evergen. Um, I'd also point out to our um, sister podcast, which is um, Solar Insiders. We've got an interesting interview coming up next week with Orison, the CEO and founder of Orison, which is this plug and play battery thing that um, Origin Energy has invested in and just talking about sort of virtual power plants and distributed energy that might also be of interest. But anyway, thanks very much, David. Um, good to talk and we'll be back again next week. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, a market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises the performance of residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen software is powering the energy of the future. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.